Hello, and thanks for listening. As we move toward the end of the year, Mike and I just want to thank our fans. We're having a ton of fun doing this and look forward to going through the long list of movies we have in front of us. We appreciate you sharing with others and hope you continue to enjoy each episode. I'm Chet Stedman. Don't call me the rocket anymore, kid. Hey, kid, I'm going to try to bang your mom. Can I call you an idiot for a second? Yeah. Welcome to a very special edition of Worth the Watch podcast. I'm your host, Ed Palilla, with me as always, Mike Kennedy. How we doing? Mike, there's that fall crisp in the air, especially in the evenings, and that means we have now approached what I think is probably the best month out of all 12 in terms of sports, because you've got football's now in full swing. College football's in full swing. NHL hockey is starting. Basketball is starting back. And baseball playoffs are here. So in honor of the baseball playoffs, uh, they actually just started yesterday as we're recording this. We've decided that Mike and I kind of threw out there at the last one to say, well, let's throw out Little Big League, Rookie of the Year, Angels in the Outfield, and Bull Durham. We, we didn't want to do Major League yet. That one's coming. I think we're going to do that in the spring when spring training starts. And we said Bull Durham's kind of a more of a summer movie because it's minor league baseball. But neither one – Rookie of the Year does have a little bit of a playoffy feel to it. Uh, Angels in the Outfield has a little bit of a playoffy feel to it. They both kind of end the same way. So we decided – we started watching Angels in the Outfield and said, we don't have a ton to do with Angels in the Outfield, so let's do both. So you guys are getting a special two-parter with Angels in the Outfield and Rookie of the Year. That's a little double feature. A little double feature. A little, uh, we'll, we'll even be real corny and say the double header. So Angels in the Outfield was released July 15, 1994. This was the same day as maybe the most underrated Arnold Schwarzenegger movie there is, True Lies. It also came out one week after Forrest Gump. Movie, as Mike and I will talk about it, it is extremely Disneyfied, if you know what that means. It's very family-friendly, very, very little kid joke. The budget of the movie was $24 million and actually made $50 or $50 million. I believe $50 or $50 million. It made $50 million in theaters. Uh, You don't see it on TV very often. Do you remember the first time you saw this or any particular time you saw this movie, Mike? Oh, man. I was trying to think real hard, and I can't remember the exact time, but, you know, I remember – Watching as a kid and really enjoying, you know, watching as a kid. I, I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I think I saw it on, well, at the time, because uh, the VHS tape, and yeah, VHS, probably a handful of times. The cast of the, oh, I'm sorry, the Rotten Tomato score, the, what would you guess the Rotten Tomato score out of 100% for the critics? Um, 50. 33%. Which means IMDb is probably. A six out of ten in the six point one. Very good. And the critics is probably like a sixty two percent. Well, the critic critics was at thirty three. Audience, audience score forty nine percent. Forty nine percent. So you were right in the first time. So uh, kind of a coin flip on how people feel about it. Very good on the IMDb score though. Uh, that's pretty good. I'll go briefly through the cast here. Danny Glover plays the manager George Knox. Most everybody knows Danny Glover from. Lethal Weapon. He's obviously too old for this shit. 
Brenda Fricker plays Maggie Nelson. If you've ever seen Home Alone 2, she is the woman that lives in the park, the homeless woman that plays Covered in pigeons. pigeon poop. Covered in pigeon poop. Tony Danza, good old Tony Danza, plays the ace, longtime old ace pitcher, Mel Clark. You used to be Mel Clark. Tony Danza. Yeah. <laughs> From Who's the Boss? I mean, that's He's been in a couple other random things. If you've ever seen Don John, fact I have later when we get into that, but he did a movie with Joseph Gordon-Lovett. He plays Joseph Gordon-Lovett's dad, which is kind of funny. And now he's a teacher. Uh, I believe he's that? a teacher now, right? Really? I didn't know that. Tony Dance is a teacher? I'm pretty sure he's a teacher now. That wouldn't surprise me. He seemed like a good teacher. So Christopher Lloyd plays Al, the boss angel. Uh, He's wearing the Al because he's wearing the AL cap that the umpires wear. Christopher Lloyd mainly from Back to the Future. He was in, if you remember, the Dennis the Menace movie that came out about a year or two after this. He was the bum from that. Uh, an underappreciated movie to me is the movie Clue that came out in the mid 80s, and he was Professor Plum in that movie. Joseph Gordon Lovett plays Roger Bowman. You could call him the main character in the movie. Most notably from 10 Things I Hate About You, Looper, The Dark Knight Rises. He had that run, uh, I don't know, about five years after this with Third Rock from the Sun. Underrated TV show from the 90s, by the way. I always thought it was really good. It is good. And then three really ra- – I don't know if I want to call it random, but I want to give Disney a ton of credit for picking these people out. Three of the baseball players turned out to have proficient acting careers well after this movie. Uh, Neil McDonough played Whit Bass, who is the kind of extremely dumb pitcher. Which, I'll tell you what, I have this written down whenever I saw him on there. I completely forgot he was in it, and on top of it, like, I've never seen him play a role close to this at all. He's normally like a tough no, guy. No, he's like, always extremely, like, intelligent and, and usually evil. Yeah, evil. He, yeah, was, he was a bad guy in season two or three of Justified, which he's incredibly good. Really, really evil. And then in Walking Tall, he plays an evil guy walking, who's incredibly good. Tall, he's in, uh, he's in uh, Captain America. He's one of, like, the mil- army guys with the weird mustache. Oh he's yeah, like he's one of the main guys yeah. in that, and then he's also um, he's in that what was that timeline with Gerard Butler and Paul Walker. I don't think I've he's seen like that one. A, you know, like a pretty much like a Navy SEAL type guy that they send back in time with them, kind of like for safety. Yeah, yeah. This this was very this was his first movie, his first acting credit I think on IMDb. He might have had like you know like a random TV show kind of cameo thing, yeah. but I'm pretty. I was looking him up because I was also looking up the next person. Adrian Brody plays Danny Hammerling. He must weigh. Oh my gosh, 112 pounds, soaking wet. Yeah, the guys. Mo- like 111 of that, or 107 of it is nose. Adrian Brody went on to win Best Actor for The Pianist. You know, uh, I guess about 15 years after this movie, like a tiny pianist which, in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> have you ever seen that movie, The Pianist? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It's a good movie. It's it's part of the bad joke. It's long, but it's all about he is a Jew in Warsaw, and it's goes through the essentially the the timeline of thirty eight to forty five. It, it's it's essentially just him trying to survive, but he plays the piano, and that's how he ends up being able to kind of he's like a quasi celebrity because he plays piano for the local radio. Uh-huh. 
and then plays for it. It's again, it's long, it's good, but pack a lunch. It's slow moving too, but he ended up winning best actor for that. And then the last one, Matthew McConaughey <laughs> plays Ben Williams. This was one year after Dazed and Confused. So all right, all right. He, he might have been all, I think he was already filming this before or shortly after Dazed and Confused came out, which again, he played one of the greatest characters of all time being Wooderson in Dazed and Confused, but he wasn't really a big superstar no. yet. It wasn't until um, A Time to Kill came out a, about a year or two after this movie, which we're going to do that movie someday. I, I'm a big That's fan a of great that movie. movie. It's, a, it's very underrated. It never gets it, every now and again. I see it on cable, but I think it deserves more play than that. But he also went on to win best actor for Dallas Buyers Club about 20 years after this, after the McConaissance started. So it was kind of random that these three were in it because when I went so before I even turned the movie on, I went and pulled up the IMDb. I'm like, wait, he's in this. Wait, he's in this. Wait, he's in this. And then I'm watching it. And there's Matthew McConaughey being picked up by angels soaring. 15 feet in the air yep. Michael Jordan style mm-hmm. and grabbing a grabbing a fly ball an interesting thing about this movie so the ori- there was an original Angels in the Outfield it was made in 1951 it had a score of 7.1 out of 10 uh, on IMDB so it was a much I'll call it better movie I've never seen it so I can't really judge but so this is the plot line for the original one It says a young woman reporter blames the Pittsburgh Pirates losing streak on the obscenely abusive manager. When she attempts to learn more about him for her column, she begins hearing the voice of an angel promising him help for the team if he mends his ways. And he does so. An orphan girl who is a Pirates fan and has been praying for the team begins noticing angels on the ball field. Sure enough, the Pirates start winning and McGovern turns his life around. Similar plot. You'll have to say, I, I watched the trailer actually, for that movie, the 1951. And I was more confused after I watched the trailer. I, had to read that. <laughs> I was like, what is going on right now? I had no idea. I'm like, they had no idea how to make trailers back in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, again, kind of a similar thing. I'm not sure exactly why they picked the Pirates. Now, when this movie came out, I might have this in, the fa- in our facts later, but Disney jumped on board and Disney... I can't remember if it was before or after they had purchasing stake in the Anaheim Angels. Kind of wanted to promote the team at the same time. So they made this really feel-good movie about the Angels. I think the Angels came around in the 70s or 80s in, in terms of Major League Baseball. There's a, there's a thing they talk about the Mighty Ducks being also a Disney move. Because it's really crazy to think now that the Anaheim Ducks were originally the Anaheim Mighty Ducks and had the exact same logo on their jersey. Which was the duck build mask and the two hockey sticks and the same colors it's really weird to think that now but why don't you since i read the plot of the 1951 version mike why don't you give us the plot of the 1994 do that now right before i do that i want to i want to tell you i am correct uh september i mean in uh 2009 2010 tony took on his most challenging role yet teaching 10th grade english at philadelphia northeast high school no he was from philly so that would make sense went back to uh Back to back home. To, and to in do 2012, it. he uh, released a book called "I'd Like to Apologize to Every Teacher I Ever Had." My year as a rookie teacher <laughs> at Northeast High School. <laughs> so why don't uh, I'll get this plot right here? All right. Fill us in. Fill us in. All right. We have our foster kids, Roger and JP, who love the An- Anaheim Angels, even though they are the worst team in the major leagues. Roger's estranged father 
promises to reunite the family if the angels win the pennant. So Roger decides to ask for some divine help and prays that his favorite team will turn things around. Soon, a real angel named Al shows up in response to Roger's prayers. Roger is the only one with the ability to see the angels and must signal Coach Knox when he sees one so they can put the correct player in. Meanwhile, Roger's father permanently gives up custody of his son, believing it's in Roger's best interest. When the Angels make it to the championship game, Al appears in explaining that they must win championships on their own without the help of the Angels. The team manages to win the game and the championship. The film ends with Knox adopting both Roger and GP as he wants to try to become a father. Why don't we get started? I'm going to start with Dermot Mulroney is a shitty dad. (laughs) Yeah. And I forgot to I forgot to mention him in the other the other characters, but Dermot Mulroney before he really got big also had a small cameo on this. But I could never imagine going up to my kid being like, "I got to ramble, I got to run north, I got some things to take care of," and just getting on a motorcycle and driving away. I, I don't understand that premise. You know, I know everyone has their own thing, but it's it always throws me off when I see that the the dad that's got to ramble also kind of makes me laugh too. But yeah, he's a piece of shit. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I guess that I like when it's like because they love like sneaking into those games and everything like that. And don't really remember how he ends up acquiring getting the tickets. How do you get the tickets for the game? That's what you were just talking about. Beth McConaughey. That's the first thing you see catching that ball like up in the air. Uh, for the record, they show before that there's a, a ball hit to left center. And they kind of both fall over each other. McConaughey is not at fault for that. Center fielder makes the call, and the left fielder should have backed away. Agreed. For the record, there's a ba- there's a fight that breaks out too between the two teams. Well, no, between the one team. Oh yeah, between them. <laughs> the Angels yeah, are I'm fighting sorry. each other. Between themselves. The, between Knox, themselves. Knox is yes. fighting the pitcher or something like that. Yeah, Knox fights the pitcher. That's and right. the, the other uh, team runs out to fight. And the coach is like. They're not even fighting. Get not back in guys. here. Yeah, they're not a fight guys. For the record, is there anything dumber in sports than the fight in baseball? It's it's up there. It's pretty dumb. It, it's it's so dumb. And the only thing that's dumber is when all the relief pitchers have to run in from the bullpen and then run back. You always see them running in, and then they just stand around. And all it is is just someone waiting for someone else to hold them back. It's like uh, there's like two, there's, only, there's only really like two people going at it. it, it, it and and he, most of the time, it's they don't actually want to fight each other. It's like Adam Goldberg is fighting in the woods in Days and Confused, where he's like, "Look, most fights, if you can get a swing in first, if you're the first one, you can get a punch in, and then everyone jumps in and breaks it up. Like that's all all the really fights are in baseball. No one actually wants to go at it. Every now and again, you get someone that goes off the off the hinges, but otherwise, it's always just a useless fight." Fun fact, though, about Nolan Ryan, the pitcher who holds the record for strikeouts and he's up there and wins and he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. He still says to this day, the, the, the bad part of the bad joke, the picture that he gets requested to sign the most is when he is punching Robin Ventura on top of the head. Yep. And Robin Ventura is like 23 years old and Nolan Ryan's like 44 and he's got him in the headlock and he's punching him. He said that's the one that, picture that he gets handed the most to have signed. Out of all the pitch, you know, he has the 20, okay, like one or two 20 strikeout games and um, Cy Young awards. And still, it's that's the picture that people ask him to sign. Because it's cool. Because it's cool. I wanted to move on to the team a little bit. 
because they show him in the locker room after the loss. When Knox is just flipping Pure, out. Right before he flips out, they go hard all in on the stereotypes. They push really hard in it. They've got a huge, fat Italian guy who complains about salami. Yes. They got a Mexican guy wearing a straw hat. Then Miguel, who's another Mexican guy, has like the 14-year-old boy shit stash. They pushed real – and then Adrian Brody, like, with that giant honker on him and stuff. Like, they really pushed all the way in on the stereotypes. Who's, like, the – let's see, like, third base shortstop or something like that. He's got, like, the soul glow in his hair. Super greasy hair. I'm trying to think of which one that was. But he's, he's, he's playing that right into there, too. Yeah, they, they like – they said, we're going to come up with the most stereotypical people we can. Like, the fat catcher who also is the fat Italian guy complaining about salami. But he, he – I mean, and then he comes in and flips it and – you can see they kind of pan to the fat guy to kind of get that joke. Real real hard on the stereotypes. That, that guy, right? um, um, <laughs> he's actually the guy who plays Tris, Triscuit, I think his name is. Tony Longo. That you're talking about? Okay. I think he's dead in real life. Oh. Diabetes? He died like heart failure in like 2015 <laughs> or something like that. I think I might have looked over yeah. him just like out of curiosity. Never, never lost that weight. Also, that's the first time they show Adrian Brody and Neil McDonough, and they look like they're 11 years old. They both look insanely young. And I granted, it was 1994. This was 24 years ago. But, man, did those two look, look really, really young. Like I said, they, they, they didn't put a lot of effort into it. They said, we're just going to get a couple Hispanics, a big Italian guy, some white dudes. McConaughey just looked like McConaughey. He's kind of looked the same for the last 25 years. He literally years. has. He like when I looked at that, I was just like, <laughs> he literally. There's like a like a 15 year span where he didn't age. Is it safe to say he looks older as Wooderson than he does in like the Wolf of Wall Street? I don't know about that. I just think it's how he's dressed and the fact he's got that little shit stash. <laughs> yeah, Wooderson. He does though. I mean, he looks. He looks older as Wooderson than he does in a lot of the characters he plays. I will say that much. He's finally starting to let the gray come in on the temples a little bit. He's uh, kind of hard to tell. He's, he's, got, he's aged gracefully. He's got like you know like blondish hair, so you don't notice the grays as much either. Yeah, it kind of blends in. He's got that. It's like lighter brown, blondish, auburnish kind of flowing locks. We'll go on and on about his his stunning good looks another I'll tell time. Tell you something that I'm surprised about. I'm surprised that Knox buys into this. Real angel, angels, because he because he's a he's. I'll put it this way: the guy would do anything to get a win, and that's all he cares about until the end, and he finally comes around. But that's like all he cares is, you know what? If I'll buy into it, if it means we're going to win games, like I'll do whatever it takes. I mean, I know he did some research. The kids like, hey, you know, ask ask the guys in the game. You know, ask Luongo hits a home run. Ask Matthew McConaughey. You know, like, and they said, yeah, they said like something weird happened, and it. You know, definitely the Matthew McConaughey was you could you could easily maybe not tell hitting the home run that it was an angel's help. But Matthew McConaughey's you could tell like, hmm, uh, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And the the home run thing, I, I don't care if an angel's got that ball or not. A shattered bat would not make it over the fence. Well, also a shattered bat would immediately go to, oh, is that some bitch corked? Yes, <laughs> there there were definitely umpires let's, looking inside. Let's be realistic. Like How much crazy shit happens in this movie? Like that one scene where, like, when Adrian Brody gets to bat. And, and, yeah, and, that's and, the worst. And when scene. he's just swinging, I'm just like, "There's no way he'd be a professional baseball player. No way." 
No, no, no. no. They're like he's known for his defense, and I'm just like it doesn't matter. You have to be able to hit the ball a little bit. Yeah, like even there's the there's the old line of the Mendoza line. Like that's a terminology for essentially someone that hits, I think it's below 200 because there was a guy named Mendoza who was a really good fielder but couldn't hit for shit. And that was kind of the, the running joke of saying, oh, it's below the Mendoza line. And that's now kind of become a euphemism throughout pop culture. But but, but when he gets – Still, I, he would be zero – he'd be batting zero, well, zero, what zero. I'm, what I'm saying is though is that – you know, he's that ball on what there's like 30 freaking airs on that play. The ball's just bouncing around everywhere. You know, it's like, yeah. I was like, after all like this shit happened, I'm like, everybody on that team would be freaking drug tested. <laughs> They'd be drug tested. There'd be mass investigations. Major League Baseball would sh- cancel, like shut down games for the team until they figured out what was going on. Again, I know it's a movie, but, and that's the point. It's a kid's Disney movie that you have to let it go. But man, it's. <laughs> They could have at least tried. As an adult, <laughs> as a kid, I had laughed and thought that it was fun. But as I watched it the right. second time, I said, I, I remember this movie like Sandlot with angels. And yeah. now, and, and now yeah. I was like looking at it and I was just like, this movie's sad. They're not they're, – yeah, it is. It's, it's sad. Like it's a sad movie. And I'm just like, oh. Yeah, you, you feel bad for the kids, their, their situation shit. And, you know, the, Danny Glover has no comedic skills. Joseph Gordon-Lovett was not a very good actor yet. Tony Danza was Tony Danza. So there really wasn't much to go off in this movie. In fact, the best actor in the whole movie is a guy named David Montaigne. He is the essentially the suit that has to sit with the boys to keep him entertained. He's, he's, he passed away, too. He did. Oh, man. Yeah. He's always... Help me out with this. I tried looking in his IMDb, and I couldn't find it. I feel like he's like the same guy in a different movie from the same era, and I could not figure it out for the life. His name's Taylor Negron. He like he hasn't aged. He didn't like age his entire life either. He was in like um, Last Boy Scout. That's the real thing. Yeah, I feel like there's there's like one other movie I saw him in, and he was kind of like the same character. I I might look while we're yeah uh, while you're going through. But you're right. He is definitely probably one of the the best actors in the movie. That and probably the announcer guy. Can't remember what his name is, but the guy who who's like uh, beefing beefs with Knox the whole time. Oh uh, yeah, J.O. Sanchez's um, real name Ranch Wilder. There's her name in the movie Ranch Wilder. Yeah, sorry, Taylor Taylor Negron's the name, that, not David Montaigne. David Montaigne's his name in the movie. Yeah, Taylor Negron. You're right. Yeah, sorry. It's just like so far fetched. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's almost kind of hard. Uh... Like like I, I said, I go I go when it comes down to like best scenes, least favorite scenes, least favorite scenes in this movie. My least favorite scene, even though how depressing it is, my least favorite scene was that baseball, the ball when the ball bounced around everywhere. I was just like, no, one hundred percent. I was yes. like, it was just it was like frustrating yes. to watch. He show, shows Al like fake like juggling it on his feet like a hacky sack and stuff like that. And I was just like, oh my god. I was like, there's a. I go, you know, you could have just had him hit the ball far. And then have him overthrow it a couple times, you know, like you made it look like a complete ridiculous play. You're making it, you're supposed to, you don't, you're saying you don't want people to know about you. You know, he tells them to keep it a secret, but then you're not doing yourself any favors by doing any of this shit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I figured out what I recognize Taylor Negron for. He was in an episode of friends and he played the exact same character that he is in this movie. Pretty much. I'm going to kind of, if you, unless you have anything, I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit on this. No, yeah, there's not, there's not much. Like I said, I go, we, there's, 
so the my next piece is when they're in the last game. So if you have anything between there, because I, I I tried to figure out how many games they actually were back at the All Star break, and I couldn't find it because I want to see how realistic it was that they were able to go from last last to first in the second half of the season. Like you don't know what part of the season they're really even in. Um, they're obviously is it before the All Star break? I think know? it was right after the All Star break. I think they make a mention of that. Because, and that was uh, something like 15 games out or something after the All-Star break. Yeah, but go ahead. Let's go to the last game because that's like – when you look at it, the the game is not – it's like there's not a lot of baseball, there's not a lot of baseball, and then it's like all baseball at the end. Yeah, all baseball at the end. So Al shows up and tells the kid, hey, uh, can't do anything to help you. He's but like, what? he says, what, Mel's what are, you here, what, are you, what are you here for? Yeah, <laughs> Mel, check in on Mel. Uh, that's a little bit morbid. Didn't see that play coming. Did not remember that part. I, I did not either that he's checking on Mel. But after after he said it, I go, oh, yeah. Like, you know, I was like, I do remember it after they said it, but I didn't see it coming. Like, I forgot about it. But my, my thing with that was I was just like, Mel is a professional baseball player with doctors everywhere. I'm pretty sure if he, they would know something's up. Yeah, smoking's a bitch. Yeah. Next piece on Tony Danza. He has bad pitching form. He did not look like a pitcher which is a major problem in a lot of movies that they cannot seem to find people that can look reasonably athletic sometimes. Like they can't have standard pitching motion. And I feel if Tony Danza knew he was going to be pitching, they should have had a pitching coach spend I'm, a I'm month fairly... with him saying, look, you're, you're, you look off. You need to kind of drop your shoulder I don't, to me. To me, as someone that's watching, like, oh, he looks like he's never thrown a baseball before. I'm saying I'm fairly certain they probably did have people working with him. It didn't work out. No, just not even that. Just like we don't know what he was starting with, too. Yeah, that's true. But I know infamously in the movie, um, in the movie, movie, summer catch with like Freddie. I was about to say that was one of the say his his form was so bad. They had to bring in an extra and the cutaways are really bad. Well, apparently. He got his fastball up to like eighty miles an hour. Really? Well, his form is atrocious. So, um, they had. That's a problem. That's a problem with these famous actors. They don't. They're just acting. They don't really. A lot of times, they don't play any sports. If they start acting young, right? They and don't play any sports, they just concentrate and act. They don't play any sports. So when it comes to doing a sports movie, they don't really have the mechanics to throw a ball. I don't know. I just feel like I would have said, "Look, every day for an hour, we're going to have this pitching coach come, and you're going to get good form because you need to do it in this movie." But Shit, you see some of these <laughs> people throw the first pitches out. They look like freaking dogs. No one's worse than 50 Cent. Oh, that's just, I was literally about to say 50 Cent. And he looks like a big guy that like maybe would have been athletic, but the guy can't throw a freaking baseball. You know who threw a hell of a fastball? George W. Bush. I was literally just about to say that. <laughs> George he W. Bush. He, he fired in a good one. Uh, there was that freaking nun just the other day that freaking fired one in there. Really? Yeah, some nun. I can't remember for for where it was, but she freaking fired one in there real hard. Yeah, it's uh, every now and again you hear about someone that did one, and they're like they're super nervous, and when you go up on the mound, like you go out there, and they have them stand in front of the mound instead of on it to kind of shorten it up a little bit. But I don't know. I kind of feel like I'd want to stand on the mound to get that push off. But yeah, don't worry. Well, neither one of us will be throwing out the first pitch at anything. So no, I don't see me doing that anytime soon. No. Uh, Another thing that kind of threw me off. So they get a runner on third. It's not full. It's not uh, bases or the bases are not loaded. And he throws from the windup, 
Would not happen. Well, was he lefty or righty? He's a righty. I'd say if he was ready. Well, it wouldn't matter because once once you start that motion, you have to go full through the motion and you have to go home with the ball. And they had a guy on third, I think on second and third. I'm like, he would not be throwing from the windup. If it was, if the bases were loaded, then yeah, he'd be doing it. But I don't think on second and third, I think he'd still be throwing. Well, from the stretch. They, he, he could still totally do it from second and third if they can't advance. You know? I guess that's true. If it's second and third, yeah. you just don't see it. Third, you can go straight from the windup if you're not trying to. Pick him up if you're concentrating on the batter. Yeah, I guess maybe that's what is is just get the last the last out. Also, you see McConaughey learns how to play outfield. He makes a real nice play on one. He runs well, they, one they down. All, they all they, it's just kind of like you know with the help of the Angels, they all just kind of like start to gain a little bit of confidence because as you see throughout the season, they he keeps looking when a cool play happens. He looks at the kid. Did the Angels help? Like kind yeah. of type thing. It's like no. So it's showing that like they're starting to build their confidence, starting to become a team. And they're starting to need the Angels less and less to become a good team. True, true. My next question, why does the best hitter in the league always need to have a handlebar mustache? They did it in Major League, too. The dude that comes out that plays first base and wins the Triple Crown always has a handlebar mustache. Although it did not not in Rookie of the Year. It did not in Major League, too. You know what? I have not seen that movie in a long time. In Major League, too, they're – he was on the same team. He was the catcher on the same team and got traded. Okay. I, I need to see that. I, it's been so long. All I remember is the catcher who could not throw the ball back so he would recite what the articles were in Playboy. Yeah, the big doofus. The big doofus guy. <laughs> catcher, yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, uh, next. By the time Tony Danza goes to pitch against him, did you hear the number on his pitch count? Like 150 or 156 something? 156 like pitches. Yeah. I remember being like, mm, this guy's how old? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, come on. Come on. 156 pitches. Like, apparently he's gotten – apparently they've rested him so much all year that he has no pitch. Limit he has nothing. He can, he can throw obscene amount of pitches. Well, like, it's, like, it's like, for, for, for those of you listening who don't know, like, typically around 100 pitches at this time of the year is probably when they – start to think about taking somebody out. Yeah, and especially in a game like that. Now, granted, baseball was played differently in the early 90s versus where it is today where there's so many specialists. Uh, let's take the, the Rockies-Cubs game from the other night that the Rockies won. I think each team had six or seven pitchers thrown. Now, granted, it went a long time. But in especially in the playoffs and in late-round games, managers are going to be much more likely to bring in relievers to throw an inning or two because it gives them the opportunity to have a fresh arm instead of one throwing that's, that's a little bit worn out, a little bit worn out. I mean, if you've got Kershaw or Halliday in his prime, yeah, you're going to let him throw eight or nine innings or even like Bumgarner or someone like that that can throw that much. Otherwise, yeah, they're never going to throw 156 pitches. Although pitch counts weren't nearly as important in the early 90s. There wasn't all that stuff. They should have had him throw out his shoulder too or maybe end up with Tommy John surgery. Yeah. <sighs> The, the, the movies are already so much alike. <laughs> yeah, there are, there's a lot of similarities between the two. All right, I did a lot of the, a lot of the complaining there. What do you have, Mike? Uh, my main thing is I was like, okay, kids, cheating is cool as long as angels are involved. Yes, that is an important fact to remember, Mike. It's a very yeah, important yeah. fact to remember. You always say cheaters never win unless the angels are doing the cheating for you. Which is your favorite angel scene um, where an angel, angel jumps in? 
I have mine, but I want to hear what yours is. I didn't even like think about it, but that much, but probably either the Matthew McConaughey one or what the one guy was running and he like pushes him, makes him slide like halfway across. (laughs) I forgot about that one again. Again, no one's going to look into the physics of that and what's going on. (laughs) Exactly. I was just like, that's not, that's not ridiculous or anything. The one I like the most is when, and I think it's during their montage part where the angel comes in right as the guy's throwing the pitch and comes sweeping around and grabs the ball and goes for a strike. I like that one. I thought that one was pretty cool. Before we get into Rookie of the Year, do you have anything else, Mike? Well, before you do that, it just made me think of the, one of the most ridiculous ones is right before uh, Adrian Brody hits the ball, you know, and it goes all over the place. Yeah. I'm pretty fairly certain the guy grabs the ball and it just stops midair, right? Like, yes. The, the yes. Stops I'm like, nobody thinks anything about that. Like, yeah, everyone's like, um, <laughs> that's cool. Maybe we should investigate this. See what's just, going on. The, the the only thing I have to add, other than that, though, like that just little just popped in my head, just thought it was ridiculous. Is that like you said we this movie takes place during the nineteen ninety four like ninety four ninety five uh, baseball strike that was going on. It it With, came out like right before it. Yeah, it came out and like it, about a month before the baseball strike started, which just so happens to be like probably one of the most embarrassing moments that baseball could have because there were so many things that were going on. Tony Gwynn was batting three ninety four. And they're wondering if he's going to hit over 400. I love he had, Tony Gwynn. He had, he had the highest batting average since Ted Williams, which was in 1941. Yeah. You had, the, you had the Montreal Expros, who had the best record in baseball at 74 and 40. Maybe they would have won the World Series. But guess what? After that season, what happened? Montreal went to Washington, D.C. and yep. the Washington Nationals. Yep. They were awesome. They had Larry Walker and Marquise Grissom and Vladimir Guerrero. They were so yeah. good then. They were real good. That's what I'm saying. On the on the high note, this is whenever Michael Jordan was playing baseball, and because of the strike, he went back and started playing basketball, won three more championships. With oh, Bulls. there we go. Good. <laughs> and, they, and they said he refused to cross the picket line and play as a you know a replacement as player. a scab, yeah, because he would have felt the same way as a as a basketball player. And so he was just like, you know what? Um, but they, they they always think like he probably would have played another season if they wouldn't have had a strike. So he went back and played basketball. So. Good for him. You Have know, you like, seen that 30 for 30, Jordan takes the bus about his no. minor league baseball career? It's really good. There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there that one of them was that Michael Jordan was gambling so much that uh, David Stern didn't know what to do. So instead of suspending him and publicly embarrassing him, they said, look, we need you to take a year off. We're going to just kind of privately suspend you for a year and have you take a year off. Go do whatever you want. And he decided to go back and then he went to play baseball. If you watch that 30 for 30 on him, they actually say like a lot of it had to do the reason he did it. If you don't quite know the story, his father was murdered in North Carolina while he was playing while he was in Chicago playing. And his dad and him grew up worshiping baseball. They loved basketball, but baseball was kind of what kept like one of the things that they, they did growing up. So he kind of always had in his heart that he wanted to play baseball and he wanted to do that for his dad. He got the theory is the the other theory is, is he got so tired of beating everybody and he's such a competitive, insane, like insane person 
that he said, we're just going to win every championship between now and when I don't feel like playing anymore. I want a new challenge. So he went and took on baseball. And one of the people, uh, his manager, they interviewed him when he was playing for the team. And I think Birmingham, playing for the Birmingham Barons in Alabama said that if Jordan would have played one more year, he would have been playing in the, in the majors. He, he was getting that good and his athleticism was that good. He was batting 202, I think. Yeah, but it, he started out batting like 140 or something. And he, by the time he was hitting, he was actually hitting the ball pretty well by, by the time that season ended. Something like that. They said he was finally starting to come around and get the vision and get the swing. I think his biggest problem is he was six foot six. It was just too big of a strike zone. Eh. Excuses are like assholes. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. All right. Uh, anything before we, we get to rookie of the year? Um, nope, that's about it. Other than the fact that the kid can see angels and then he denounces God like little bitch. Yeah. Up. Yeah. That was a little shitty of him. That was a little shitty of him. Like everybody in the world, like looking for proof and you're just going to, you have it. And then you're going to say, no, there's no such thing as God. It's like, you're a freaking idiot. There was the perfect moment in the movie where Knox is going to come out. Danny Glover is going to come out and denounce the angels. And then the caretaker gives that, heartfelt speech about whether you believe it or not isn't it nice to have something to believe in thought that was a nice little touch there by disney that actually was a pretty yeah. good i like that there. that was probably one of my like favorite scenes in the movie that and the uh when he's playing baseball with the kids and he tells the kid to run home and he yeah like, physically yeah. runs back physically to his runs home yeah that was a good he's, yelling out there. he's like run home run home run home yeah. run home the kid that was uh just didn't quite get it a little too young yeah. that's all i got eddie all right for our next movie Rookie of the Year, released July 9th, 1993. A budget of only $10 million, it grossed $53.5 million in theaters. Uh, what would you guess the Rotten Tomatoes score was, Mike, out of 100% for the critics? 100% for the critics. Um, uh, we did that one yesterday, and it was a lot lower, so I don't know, 40%? 37%. And audience score, kind of. I'll say this much: the uh, the this movie is right in line with the Angels of the Outfield, almost within a few percentage points. The audience score of fifty two percent, and an IMDb score of six out of ten. So, to go with Angels in the Outfield, Angels in the Outfield was a Rotten Tomatoes score of thirty three percent, an audience score of forty nine percent, and an IMDb score of six point one out of ten. So very. Very close to each other. Um, I would say this this movie is marginally better than Angels of the Outfield. Uh, We're going to get into that later when we get through the the whole movie. But yeah, I I guess that feels right. I wouldn't say I like this movie, but after watching Angels of the Outfield, this movie at least made me feel better about myself. I mean, you know, like it's not made for us now. It was made for us, you know. Yes. when we were little. Freaking Henry was. Yeah. So uh, the cast of this movie, Gary Busey plays Chet Rocket Stedman. Great name. Great name. Uh, Gary Busey from, yes, from Point Break. Lethal Weapon. Which one's he in? The first one. <laughs> Lethal Weapon. <laughs> I, have, I haven't seen that in so long. I have to re-see it now. Uh, Thomas Ian Nichols plays Henry Rowan Gartner. Most famously known from American Pie as a horrible character. 
especially yeah. in American Pie 2. He is so bad in American Pie 2, it's unreal. Uh, John Candy plays Cliff Murdoch. He plays the announcer. He is uncredited in the movie and barely shows up on IMDb, way down at the bottom. you got to hunt for him, which is weird because he has a decent amount of lines as the announcer. Yeah. Including one of, my, one of my favorite quotes, which we will say later. That's absolutely hilarious to hear their announcer say this. He was Uncle Buck. He, all the great movies from the 80s. Uncle Buck and... Uh, Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. He has a cameo in Home Alone. Yeah. If you've ever... There's a terrible movie from the 80s with him called Who's Harry Crumb that I've seen like 3,800 times. Um, the Great Outdoors. He's done a ton of them. A ton of them. Died way too young. Oh, yeah. And if you've ever seen Canadian Bacon, it's the last movie he made. It's actually underratedly funny. Love me some John Candy. Yeah. Dan Hedaya plays Larry Fisher. Dan Hedaya is most notably the dad in Clueless and the dad in Night at the Roxbury. Bruce Altman plays the her mom's boyfriend who tries to be the manager named Jack Bradfield. I tried looking him up. I could not find anything that I recognized him from. Eddie Bracken plays Bob Carson, the owner of the Cubs. Most notably, National Lampoon's Vacation. He was Wally. Home Alone 2. Also, yeah, and Home Alone 2. He's Mr. Duncan. So he did have a movie with John Candy in National Lampoon's Vacation. And Daniel Stern. And Daniel Stern, who's our next person, who plays Brickma. (laughs) Uh, from Home Alone and City Slickers and uh, Very Bad Things, which is a horrible movie. But Andrew Home Alone. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he was also the director of this movie, surprisingly enough. It's his only directing credit. He, he was the one that directed this movie. Last, uh, the only other person I'm going to add in is Neil Flynn. He played, he's Oki. He played the first baseman. He was very early in his career. He went on to be the janitor in the TV show Scrubs, the dad in the TV show The Middle. He's also the dad in Mean Girls. He's underratedly funny. He always plays like really, really dry humor and nails it. Uh, why don't you give us the plot here, Mike, and then we'll get into the movie. All right. Another short plot today. All right. A freak accident causes 12-year-old Little League player Henry Rowan Gardner to become such a powerful and accurate pitcher that the Chicago Cubs sign him. And he's only, what, like a junior in high school, maybe? I don't even know if he's that. I think he's like 14. He's probably like a more like eighth grade. He's 12. Oh, so he's like seventh grade. Sixth, seventh grade. Uh, Unprepared for this type of environment. He falters early. uh, But the aging uh, fastballer, Chet Stedman, takes him under his wing and teaches him how to play in the big leagues. Meanwhile, his mother's shitbag boyfriend, as we discussed earlier, um, tries to sell Henry's contract to a hated opposing team, the Yankees. Meanwhile, Henry's lighthearted fun attitude towards the game and his newfound talents make the Cubs one of the hottest teams in baseball. During the last game in the division, during the last game with the division on the line, with Chet Stebbin on the mound, who throws six solid innings before completely throwing out his arm. Henry is called in. He strikes out everyone in the seventh and eighth inning. In the ninth inning, he falls on his arm again, loses his amazing speed. But with the help of some trick plays, an underhand lob pitch, he, managed to, he manages to win the game. 
Henry retires at the end of the season and is seen playing Little League ball with his friends and Chet Simmons coaching. And then you see him hold up his World Series ring, and I just thought, World Series my ass. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go comment by comment, not really scene by scene. But when he falls and breaks his – I mean, he has to break his arm to be in a cast like that, right? That's like I broke my arm in fourth grade. It depends where you broke it. Like I broke mine like kind of closer to my wrists, but I had a cast that went up over my elbow. Right. So based <laughs> off the location of the cast and then the comment later, I think he breaks his humerus, the upper bone. Yeah, and what confuses me even more, there you would not put his arm like that. Like there's no there's no way you would put a cast like that. The the blood's not gonna go to his hand. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't even think it's about really, that. Not that's why when you see people like always in the in movies with like the full body cast on, yeah, and arms. one like, usually like one arms up with the thing under it and the other arms down. They kind of look like um, the chalk outline from a dead body. Yeah, like there's no way that they would have that going on. My, my other thing too is that like after he goes to the doctor, <laughs> and the doctor like is like, oh, you know, like his tendons seem to fuse to the to the bone. Yes. Yeah, fused to the bone, you know, making him a little extra tight. And she's like, "Oh, is that right?" He's like, "Oh, you know, it's 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 uncommon. It's like, um, it's uncommon. Like, and he like smacks him, you know, in the in the face and everything like that, and just tells him to leave." I'm like, yeah. "What a shitty doctor." Yeah. So we're, before we get into the tech, we're gonna get into the technicality of the of the shoulder itself, of the the arm and the shoulder itself. I, I want to say this: if it was as bad as they made it out to be. I would have liked to have seen a compound fracture there. Really think something should have broke the skin. You know, I don't really, like I said, I go, whatever. It's a kid's movie. They probably don't want to. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That would, have been, that would have been pretty graphic for a kid's yeah. movie. A uh, couple things. Number one, the doctor yells funky butt loving, which was a very popular term in the 1990s. So what does that really turn out to be like? Fucky butt fucking. Yeah, I don't know what it's supposed to like. <laughs> supposed to cover. I was like thinking about. It, I was like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I remember saying that as a kid, and I don't think it was. Maybe this movie accelerated it, but I feel like that term was in the zeitgeist way before, you know, out outside the realm of this movie. Yeah. I, in fact, I forgot that it was said in this movie until I rewatched it. So. Um, now back to the shoulder and arm. I'm going to read. I, I did a little research because I wanted to know when he says the tendons fuse to the humerus. So I said, "Well, tendons fuse to bones, right?" Now you're the you're the the expert on this, Mike. So I'm going to default a lot of this to you, but I'm going to read this what I, I pulled offline, and then I want you to kind of provide your your technical background to it. So, although many people refer to the rotator cuff as a general area in your shoulder, your rotator cuff itself is a group of four tendons located at the top of your humerus. These tendons are called the subscapulus tendon. Well, there's some technical names for the four of them. I'm not going to read them off. But so, in 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 essence, there's four tendons that connect your shoulder to your bone, to your arm, in essence. And I, I don't really know if it's physically. Because he says they fuse to the bone. Of course they fuse to the bone. That's how they fix. That's how your arm stays connected to your body other than just the skin hanging there. So mm-hmm. 
provide to me a little bit of how they try and make something out of the fact that he fell and hit his arm and broke his arm and the tendons managed to do that. The only thing that, like I said, it literally makes mechanically no sense at all because they don't mention anything. They're like, he breaks his arm, you know, and he wants the bones to heal correctly. I only, the only reason I can think that they would have fused, I, I don't even know how that would happen, but I, you know, I could see them tightening because of the way his arms. Because it was resting like that for four months. months or whatever? Yeah, four months. And my thing is, too, is that when you're a pitcher with all this everything, too, he's going to lose a lot of flexibility with his arm like that. And if the tendons are tighter, he's going to lose flexibility. And that's one of the main things where you get a lot of your speed from. Yes, is that that, that angle to the back. Yeah, that angle as far back as that arm comes, that's, that's where you, you get all your torque. That's why you don't see like jacked pitchers. Yeah, you know, they're, like, they're, they're, you get your Tim Lincecum can throw 97, 98 with all that movement. And he looks like he's built like a 17 year old, like a 14 year old boy, really. So yeah, it's, just, it's all about being lanky and having, like I said, it's all, it's, that's all biomechanics there. It's like muscle can like help you with, you know, some things, but you're going to get more out of having flexibility. Yes. Yes. I will say he has at least quasi decent form for yeah for, for a twelve year old yeah I give him that. But um, do you have anything between there and when he goes to join the team? Just like how creepy is this Jack Bradfield guy? But you know the three, whole three week anniversary thing or whatever. Yeah, that's like, so it, weird. That is like, so weird. Her neck like right yeah. in front of him and, and gives her like, a necklace and. Like world's worst mom too. He's like, you're going out again. Like, yeah. just leaves, leaves her kid at home. Yeah, you know? it's like I made dinner. F yourself. Yeah, like the worst <laughs> freaking spaghetti I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I could have gotten a can of ragu and it would have looked better. Yeah, the, the, it should have just been Chef Boyardee in the can and not be like, you heat it up. I'm I'm out of here. Well, before the even even the accent, you had that lunchroom scene too, where they're talking about the uh, what's that chick's name. Uh, the for, like, I want to say Emily, but I think I'm thinking of Three Ninjas. I, I don't know. <laughs> Rocky Love. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. No, I know she's that Jillian or whatever from like Muddy Ducks 2 and 3, the goalie. Oh, but Julie, okay. Julie, yeah. Julie, Julie, goalie, I think is what her name is, maybe. But like during that scene, they're like looking at her, just saying the most like freaking ridiculous things, like ever. Like I was writing it down. It's like the one guy, the the chubbier kid, George or whatever his name is. Yeah, he's like, mm, milk really did her body good. You yeah, know? it's it's um. And then he's like, she's not even. And then uh, Henry's like, she's not even that hot. And she's like, <laughs> not that hot. And he like puts his hands like by like where his boobs would be. He's like, she's stacked. Yeah, that's right. I forgot. I'm like, what? Yeah. Some very advanced language for some 12-year-olds talking about another 12-year-old. Super, super weird. Super weird. Yes. Very, very odd. But Um, something when the doctor was checking his arm out, like the sound effects the arm was making. That wind back sound. Yeah. (laughs) They do it later when he's pitching, too. Um, Another thing is when he goes to throw the ball from the outfield, he goes back and you see he turn his head and looks at it like, oh, my God, what am I about to do? I don't know if you would really know that. I guess you could feel the tightening in your shoulder, but you don't know that you're about to rip one off. I want, I want to get back to the them in school. Yeah. 
the timeline of this movie is a little bit off. Um, ag- agreed. I was because they it, it's it shows it's early August, and they're in school. Now I know some schools do go back early, but it was legit like August third or something because they they make a mention of that, and so he's at a day game for the Cubs, which the Cubs do play a lot of day games, but they're during the week usually. So he's at a day game for the Cubs. So is he in school or is he not in school? That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I don't know, but I know that um, I think it's it might it might be the Cubs. They signed a thing where you can't. They can't have any home games on Friday nights. Okay, that makes like sense. That. They do. They they play a lot of day games, way more than any other team. And I actually wish a lot more teams did play day games. I think it's cool. It's cool. It's tough during the week because like they know that no one's going to show up. Right, and the other thing is they want that TV ratings, and you're not going to get TV ratings in the middle of the day. You're going to get them in, in the evenings. So but it's weekend, hard. Weekend games are during the day are fun. Yeah, I really like the Pirates have started playing more four o'clock Saturday games. I think that's the perfect time for a game because you can get there at noon, get your tailgating in, go to the game, and then you still have – you're done at like 7, 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. I think that's a really – and they've, they've started doing it more and more. They did it like once, like five years ago, and they've like added a game essentially each year. And now they do four, five, six of them a year. I also like how when mom gives them the tickets to go to that game. Like they just run off onto like the metro by themselves or whatever, the train and all yeah. around run around like Chicago like 12 years old running around the city like that with the high with the second or third highest murder rate in the country although it does right now I don't know how bad it was back in the early 90s just still like I mean I guess it was a different time our parents trusted us more too I was riding my bike all over the neighborhood yeah but you weren't riding your bike all over downtown Chicago that's true too and Wrigley Field is in a very sketchy area of Chicago no I'm sorry Wrigley Field's in the nice area of Chicago Comiskey, where the White Sox play, is in a very sketchy part. So at least it's in a nice area. I'm going to move on to when he gets to the locker room. Well, what I was about to say is like right when they like sign him, like the whole Jack Bradfield like being the manager just kind of like says it, and the mom even looks surprised, like, "Wait, you're the manager?" Yeah, he just throws himself in there because like, he's hell, he's making a power play. I'm saying hell no, like the mom would still be in charge of all that. She would. She has the legal rights, yeah. He has no rights at all. Speaking of legal rights, are there any child labor laws for all this shit? So, (laughs) likely. Um, I don't know what Illinois-specific rules are. In general, 15 is about the the lowest it can get. So I don't know how they would have been able to work their way around it. That's a good question. Uh, Before we get too far away from it, though, about five to ten years ago, there was a lot of rookie in the year, rookie of the year jokes out there because a guy in the outfield that threw the ball back, threw it back like all the way to the infield, like almost at a cutoff throw, actually in the stands. I have to look up that. The video is probably on YouTube, but it's worth looking that there's a guy who legit throws it back, not obviously to hit the catcher in the arm or hit the catcher in the in the mitt and hurt his hand, but. Henry threw, you know, he threw that some bitch on a rope. Like yeah, was threw crazy. it on a rope. But the kid, the guy that threw it back, threw a impressive throwback, legit all the way to like the cutoff man from the from the stands. So we were talking about 
this strike during Angels of the Outfield. Did this overlap with the strike too? Mm, I think this is probably before the strike. I think I read. I'll have to look in my, my in the facts I have later. I think some of this stuff was filmed. They filmed all this stuff like Henry's first game during a doubleheader for the Cubs. They had everybody stay in the stands and chanting Henry. And it was against the Cardinals. So it was during – they did film this during the actual during the actual season. Uh, the guy from the Mets who is essentially a walking nightmare. But he looks – Mark McGuire? <laughs> well, yeah, I said he, he kind of looks like either – do you remember Darren Dalton played for the Phillies? Yep. Oh, that, he looks like he had a big ass chewing. He always had a big ass chewing, or he kind of looks like Jose Canseco. Almost if you a little Canseco, but angrier. He looks like the guy who played Lattimore from the program. Do you remember the program, the movie? The I guy who's the defensive well, end. He looks like the a mix between Jose Canseco and the guy the the other the american that was trying to fight in the kumite with <laughs> yes <laughs> yes um the guy from revenge of the nerds yeah <laughs> o- ogre from revenge of the nerds yeah <laughs> yeah he does he kind of looks like a mix between those two and i did look him up he's just a random person i don't think he's ever really been in much else and i i, I tried to look him up too cuz was... no but it's always funny like every 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 like movie that involves a pitcher they have to have that like guy who's just like the intimidating batter that they got. Right, who just does nothing but crush the ball all the time. Ridiculous things. How does um, Rickma, a.k.a. Daniel Stern's character, have a job? Like, he's the biggest idiot I've ever seen. He is pretty bad. He's pretty bad. Like, as soon as Chet Stedman, you know, at the end of this movie, like, retires, because <laughs> he can't throw anymore, like, I'm pretty sure he'd be the pitching coach. Yeah, yeah, oh, that the, he would be gone. And he absolutely would, be gone. would be an upgrade from this guy. Just, yeah, the guy, I, I don't think he taught him anything. No, he didn't. And even whenever Chet, well, he walked out there and like said something to him, I don't even know what the hell he said to him. He comes out and he says something about like the half to or something. Like yeah, and then he comes back to him. He's like, what do you say? He's like, I don't even know. Like he, he tells the coach, he goes, you, you, you wouldn't understand. But at the same time, he was like walking back. He's like, I don't even know what the hell I was saying, you know, like to himself. <laughs> also, Ed, let's be real here. Even if you can throw 105 miles an hour, if all you have is a fastball, professional hitters are going to tee off on you. Yeah, and uh, it, it happens all the time in Major League Baseball where originally, you know, someone will come up from the minors and they'll have like a huge – first month they'll be unhittable for like the first month and then there's kind of some scouting on him and they kind of figure out his his tipping a little bit and they by then he's starting to get shelled so the the one thing he does have going for him is he's a relief pitcher that only comes in and throws you know an inning two innings something like that yeah and so there's not they ha, they aren't getting a ton of time to actually figure out who he actually is and what his pitching style is or anything. Well, like that. I'm just saying, even after like two games, you could be like, he's only throwing a fastball ever. Go up there expecting a fastball. You know? Yeah, like, it's just you know he's going to come with heat 
throw a fastball pretty much like right across the plate every single time. So you just got to get ready to swing like as soon as about the, the ball is about to leave his hand and just aim for it. Like he would, he'd be giving up a lot of home runs because he's throwing so hard. So the guy who's the first page, the first page, uh, the the guy from the Mets. Sorry, I had to dig through to find him. His name is Hedo, H-E-D-D-O in the movie. His real name is Tom Milanovic, and he died in 2003. Oh, I can't figure out why. <laughs> he was the – he also played the state trooper in Groundhog Day. But he does. He looks exactly like, as you said, like a combination of Jose Canseco and Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. My next thing. They go to go on the road trip. Chet Stedman says one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. He goes over to him. Do you remember what he says to him? He's like, can I come sit with you? Do you remember what Chet Stedman replies with? No. Yeah, this is one of the best Salisbury steaks I've ever had. Oh, no. Chet, no, so it's a Ch- Chet, Chet waves him over, and he's like, come over here and sit, kid. And the kid comes over and sits next to him. And he, I had that written down, too. I was just like, obviously, this guy does not get out to eat much. Yes. First off, Salisbury steaks are – or something you eat when you're alone and only like, when you're alone <laughs> from like, a TV like dinner. A, like a hungry man with like mashed potatoes. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a poor man's a poor man's steak. And it's on an airplane. He's like, so it's like, obviously gonna be no. terrible. He's like he's like, Hey, you want some, you want you want some of my Salisbury steak? <laughs> he's like, Yeah, sure, I'll have some of your Salisbury steak, Chet. So I'm gonna get into Gary Busey after we get through the movie because I'm doing a comparison between him and Tony Danza because they both essentially played the same character. <laughs> hey, um, hey, hey, kid, I'm going to try to bang your mom. Yeah. <laughs> so your mom's single, right? Well, she's got this boyfriend of a man- manager boyfriend. Ah, oh, it's all right. I'm still going to bang her. <laughs> I'm Chet Stedman. I used to be the rocket. This is before Busey really went off the rails, too. I know, this is a very this was like right before, but he's still right before he went off the rails. This is a calm Busey. Yeah, this is, he was still calm. He wasn't super, super weird. Yeah. Oh, and also when they're on that road trip, like, well, why doesn't mom just go with him? You would think it would almost be required for mom to go with him. Yeah, well, that's the thing. This kid's just walking around the locker rooms. Like, there's they've had like some sort of like handler, like they did in Angels in the Outfield for the kids. You know. Yeah, they they camp. definitely would have some type of handler. And well, I guess that's what Brickman's supposed to be. But then he gets locked between the doors. Yeah. Yep. Little hat. That's one of my favorite lines in the movie. I mean, he said it, I just started laughing. Just <laughs> how he said it. Yeah, because he's ridiculous. But I have to get into the boat. Oh, I said, the, the, uh, we're, oh, we're going to get into the boat. I was just saying when he's on that road trip, that's when he like has to bat for the first time. Oh yes, and, yes. And it makes me max him. Just like like he can't throw a strike. This is a professional pitcher who can throw a pitch like exactly where he wants it to be. He can throw a strike on this kid. It's like, yeah, he, yeah, he would not be able to. He's like his, his, uh, what is it? His, um, his strike zone's too small. Like, yeah, they probably still could have. He could have taken something off of it, and no, he wouldn't have had to. He's so accurate. He could have just thrown a strike. Yeah, he could have just thrown it right down the middle. Yeah, and been like, strike one, strike two, strike three. Yeah, you think this twelve-year-old kid's gonna be like, even if you throw just like an eighty-five mile an hour like fastball? It's like he's not gonna hit that. He's Twelve years old. He hasn't batted ever, and he's obviously we've seen from his little league. He sucks. Yeah, he's terrible. But somehow he's a good pitcher. Oh, also, <laughs> I literally noticed this, and then I read about it when he's like practicing. 
being a pitcher, like in his basement with like the washer. Yeah. Like throwing the soap in or whatever. He's like full count, like whatever, bottom, whatever. And he throws the, he throws it and it goes in. He's like, strike one. I'm like, you just said, <laughs> like, I was well, like, he doesn't, I he doesn't I like, understand the rules of baseball, I think. I was like, take that pirate jersey off, you asshole. <laughs> yeah. They're they're bad enough without you. Hey, over five hundred this year. We were over five hundred this year. But yeah, let's talk about the boat. Yeah. Who gives a shit about a stupid boat? Well, it, okay, being twelve years old, like making your own boat sounds really cool. But what kind of fucking parents would let them <laughs> take their boat out on a water that they built? A couple twelve year olds built. Not just that, he stole a boat motor from somebody. They had literally go, where'd you get that from? He's like, don't worry about it. And that was it. They never they never discussed it again. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. They Fell off it. the back of a truck. And now that he's making all this money, don't you think they could be buying some little bit nicer parts to make this thing? Well, not just that, but how about you let the you let him fucking pitch for a couple months and then you can work on your boat afterwards. They're like, Oh, Mr. Superstar. Yeah, he's making a whole bunch of money of endorsements and he's twelve years old. How about you just let him do his thing? Well, I'm pretty sure Jack Bradfield was probably doing a little bit of, you know, he was getting, he's probably making mom sign. He's probably getting half that money. There's a very, that the speaking of Jack Bradfield, the scene where she gets real mad at him and throws him out and then punches him off the porch, then punches him is a, it, when he kind of starts shaking the kid is he, it's so bad. It's so obvious that he's not really putting any effort into it. And then, the punch she throws, I guess it looked like decent form, but to have him like fall through the screen door and down the steps is. I think we're just we're just trying to point out that he's a, a pussy. He's a giant p- 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 pussy. <laughs> <laughs> he's a p- 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 pussy. Yeah. So uh, you you really like hate him the whole time, and then there's that little scene where like Chet's grinding on mom at the, like, the after party or whatever the owner's like we're gonna trade him you know to the, to the yankees for like 25 million and he's like, yeah, and he's like five million dollars and you get 10 percent. that's 2.5 i like how he's spelling that out for him obviously he knows how much it is you freaking idiot like well maybe he's he doesn't seem like the brightest guy maybe he doesn't have to, you know. like, he, he's hesitant at first he's like man you can't do that he's like yes yes i can we own him you know and then yeah, we own him. him yeah he pretty much convinces him because of the whole chet stedman's you know, was like, hey, honey, I'm going to dance with you real close here. Yeah, and he's like, you got to do me a favor. So they give they give Stepman the business. But there's a there's a really funny quote right before that. He walks in, Stepman walks in, and he's playing Tetris. And he goes, that's going to make you stupid. Guess it already did, because he doesn't respond back. I like that line. I thought that was a good one. That's one I need to keep chambered for another time. Do you have anything else before the big game? Uh, you know, just a couple of things. Um, like, how rattled, like, some of these players, like, when he gets on base that first time, he's like, pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. You know, yeah. Like, pitcher's got a big butt. Like, the pitcher gets all, like, fired up. I'm like, I'm sure you have heard a lot worse. Oh, yeah. They've said a lot of things about his his wife, his mother, his <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah. But then, you know, they go through that little – I just want to toss out that they go through that little, you know, like – montage of him just like striking people out you see yes. like Bobby Bonilla who is a Pittsburgh Pirate who I have a signed baseball card from I think it was what Vladimir Guerrero 
It looked like Guerrero, but he it didn't quite look like him. Yeah. Guerrero was a lot skinnier than that guy. But then pre-steroid Barry Bonds on the Pirates, who I have assigned baseball from. All skinny with the giant um, cross earring. Well, actually, my dad has assigned baseball from. <laughs> it's going to be worth some money someday. Yeah. But I liked it. I was, I was saying that it goes freshman because like, I was like 93. I was like, that's like right around the last time the Pirates were any good. And, they should, and I'm like, and then I go rookie of the year came out, and then they had like 20 losing seasons in a row. <laughs> yeah, so he is on the Pirates in that. Well, I guess, do you have anything else first before I, I move okay. on to that? I've got plenty. I've got an issue with her unknowingly signing the papers to send him off to the Yankees. Yeah, you know, she could fight that legally. Yeah. She could say I wasn't aware of what I was signing, and you could get away with that. Which, obviously... I'm sure that they would have done, but that's not an issue, actually. It wouldn't have held up in a court. We'll say that much. I was going to say about that. It was a little creepy, speaking of that, when he's like, you need to be sexier. Yeah, I was looking about to say that. Like, <laughs> that like, before that, when he's doing the course, like, all those girls are all over him, like, undoing, like, his tie and stuff like that and doing them up. And... Not sure that would have been the right image for Pepsi to do that with a essentially condoning statutory rape. Exactly. Hashtag, Although that was, you know, all that other stuff. <laughs> yeah, doesn't matter what else that guy did for the rest of his life. That would be the most important moment in his whole life. Yeah, and then he, he looks. He looks at me. He goes, "I need you to be sexier." And you and his mom's response is, "Oh my God, this is taking so long." She's just like watching this happen has no problem. And I go, "She's really yeah. winning Mother of the Year award." No, yeah, she's, she's pretty terrible. She's not. She's not good. She's not good. She's supposed to look like. Oh, speaking of the mom, how did I forget this part? At the very beginning, right before he's about, before he even breaks his arm, she does that little underhand toss of the sunscreen. Yeah, which are like nice catch, Henry. She throws it in the middle of freaking traffic in the road. Yeah, it's terrible throw. And, I'm like, and they're giving him a hard time, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa! Don't blame Henry on that one. Yeah, you want him to back up into traffic to catch that thing, get a concussion, get killed. He's gonna take a yeah. He's gonna hit, get hit by a freaking greyhound or something. His friends suck, for the record. He's surrounded by terrible people. A bad mom, horrible friends that may or may not be sexual predators, and then a, a, a mom who dates horrible people that try to take over his whole life and ruin everything. And Gary Busey. He's surrounded by awful people. We talking about shit. shit. <laughs> Don't call me the rocket anymore, kid. Yeah. He's, he sounds I easy. I ain't the rocket anymore. He's got that – between him and Jeff Bridges, I don't know who has a more gravelly voice. Yeah, you're right. Going to the last game, I'm ready to do that now. Okay. So he walks up to him as they're about to walk out and go and names and – <laughs> announces the locker room that Stedman's going to be the starter. They announce the starters like six hours before the game. Well, knowing that, like even if he's doing that, he would have told Chet before that because Chet, what, hasn't warmed up yet? Yeah, he probably has like a whole routine for warming up, especially when you're that old. You got to do a lot to get your shoulder warmed up. It's only the biggest game of your life. Yeah. So next thing, as much as I love John Candy, and I don't know if he wasn't paying attention to this or he's from Canada, so they may not have paid attention anyways. The winner of that game would not go on to the World Series. I did. I had so many different, like, I had so many confusing. I had no idea it was. I, in, I didn't know we were even playing half the time. I was in like, in 1993, there was the NL East and the NL West, and the winner of that would have gone on to play in the NLCS, 
not the World Series. They would go on to the National League Championship Series because they only have two divisions, the East and the West. So the Cubs would have been in the East with the Pirates and the Braves and the Mets, and the rest would have been like the Dodgers. And I forget exactly where the line was drawn, but um, all the teams in the West were not part of the, you know, they, they would have gone on to play whoever won the NL West. No, I, I agree. I, I had, I was thinking of stuff like that too. I was just like, I was like, I'm really not even sure what game we're playing right now. Like, yeah, it's supposed to, the essentially they made it out to be like a one game, like a one game playoff for the division. Like they just had the other day on Monday. They just had, they had two of them and the Cubs lost that. And then they lost in, they lost to the Brewers, which was awesome. So that that kind of drove me nuts because then they at the end after they win, he's like, "We're going to the World Series." It's no, you ha- you're going to the NLCS and you have to play a seven game series. So just cool your jets, buddy. Uh, next, so once Stedman gives up the double, they would have pulled him. Also, when they say he like they say his phrase like he's throwing his best stuff right now. I watched the catcher tell him to throw a fastball inside and the fastball went outside i was like that's not your best stuff that's not your best stuff if you're not locating he had no velocity and he had you could see in his release his release was terrible again i, I know I, it's a I, movie I, I, and it's, I, he's an I actor i don't as i said i don't fault them too much because they're don't have so much time they don't have so many scenes where they're you know and they put they put work in yeah you know, what was the last time you know what 45 year old freaking you know gary Busey's throwing a baseball around yeah so, he, he you can tell he doesn't have very much zip on that ball as he's throwing yeah, it. Yeah, he's got a nice fake mustache. But for the record, he, they would not have let him pitch one more person. They would have said, "Your arm is done." I like that. Yeah, that we're gonna we're, we're gonna we're gonna bring in the we're gonna go we're gonna go for the arm because we have to save that run. Give me one more pitch. Yeah. So he throws out his arm, and then it's so thrown out he can't even throw home to the catcher, and he has to sprint. He said. He's so, he's so thrown out. You hear the whammy bar on that. Yeah. <laughs> they just slip that in there. They just rip. It's like they're like, we're not going to make like a sound, like a crack sound. We're going to just have some guy just like grab a guitar and go, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. <laughs> they got a guy in the studio go, come on, give us a little, uh, a little thrown out your arm music. <laughs> All right, next. So they cut to him and he's sitting next to Henry and he's got his coat on. Now, I'm not a I'm not PT certified like you are, Mike. But shouldn't there be about 14 pounds of ice on his shoulder? Rest, ice, compression, elevation. Yeah, I mean, they, they should have had a especially, whole bunch of ice on there, not not a not a coat. If he just had thrown, and you know they didn't put ice on right away, I wouldn't say too much. But the but, fact that like he threw his arm out and he's like in pain, there should be a ton of ice. He probably in reality, would not even be sitting there. They'd have him in the back putting cortisone shots into his shoulder just so he could be comfortable. You know, they'd be doing MRIs and all that. Yeah, they would be, yeah. they'd be doing a lot right away. This is also, like we said, what, 25 years ago? 25 years ago, yeah. So, so it was very different then, different, but still. Yeah, very different to, to have a lot of stuff going on. You have to look at that, too. Now it's like they, you know, they're on top of it immediately with anything. Like you get right. a nose hair pulled out the wrong way. They're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, how often it's it's now a running tradition. It's someone during spring training will go on the disabled list for a non in non baseball related injury. That's absurd. 
It's I, I legit think one year someone hurt themselves reaching for a bottle of suntan lotion. Mm-hmm. Like they were in bed and they got up too quick and reached for it and hurt themselves. It happens every year. There's always like one person cuts themselves with a knife at home cutting an orange. Like it's it's absurd. But the weird thing about baseball is, especially for pitchers, you have to have so much precision with your fingers. Yeah, and like so much precision with your mechanics that if anything is off, you yeah. have you lose your velocity, you lose your ability to to put the ball where it needs to be. So it's like a lot of things people think about a fastball as a straight pitch. No, like you know, half the time they're throwing all their all their pitches have some movement. Their fastball's got movement. It's right, kind, and it's if it's not cool. if it's not getting that, if you don't have the right grip on it, there's pitchers go on the DL with a blister on their finger. So yeah. you have a blister on your finger. Well, if you if you aren't getting the right grip on it. And it hurts every time you pitch. You're gonna your your release is gonna be off. Your mechanics will be off, and you're gonna be sending grapefruits down the that, down well, the middle of the plate. It's like, what are you gonna do? Okay, you have not missed a start because if they keep pitching with it, it's not gonna get better. It's not gonna right. Get and if you you miss start. one start, you can go on the ten day DL, miss one start, and be right back. And they can call someone else up. Yeah, it's not a big deal. So, uh, how much. stupid do you have to be to slip and fall on a baseball twice in six months? Real, real stupid. Yeah. Now, again, we're going to go back to because you have the educational background in this. If you're, if theoretically your shoulder was all jacked up because of the way it healed, if you then fell on your shoulder again, would all of that go away and immediately go back to normal? I feel like if it's all, if it's real tight and everything like that, and he fell and he lost his speed. They're probably going to say, oh, it just stretched him out. But I'm pretty sure he would have, like, torn something and he wouldn't have been able to throw at all. Probably. Yeah. They probably <laughs> yeah. would have. Let, let's start with that. Second of all, if he fell and got hurt, again, we're going mo- – let, let, we're focusing on modern times because it's a little bit easier. They absolutely would have pulled him out of that game and done a full, like they, – they would have had him throw a couple pitches, warm-up pitches, and as soon as his velocity wasn't there, they would have pulled him and put someone else in. They would not said, "Oh, he's just going to make all the decisions on the, on the, yeah. on the mound, and, and tell everyone what to do." His little on, yeah, and tells everybody to do it. I'm like, "What?" So they get their three outs, and I have on here how they get their three outs. Well, yeah, yeah. Do you want to go through them one at a time? I mean, the first one, he... the first one, I'll give them. That one I could see actually happening. I, I could see a kid doing it, but it's illegal. <laughs> It's illegal to do that? I'm fairly certain the hidden ball trick. It, that's why it's never done in baseball. Oh. So, secondly, walks another guy and then tries to get him to run by dropping the ball. I think the umpire would have stepped in, like, immediately. Some sort of, like, delay a game. Well, that he's trying to get him to toss it in the air. And, he, and it's like, he's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. He's like, what are you, chicken? What are you? I'm like, what are you, freaking Marty McFly? <laughs> you can't be called Yella. <laughs> <It's Yeah>. like, <laughs> I, I don't – also, he would not have beaten that guy to second base. There's okay. no way. A 12-year-old never would have beat a professional athlete to second base. Because that guy looked like he was, like, fast at least. Like, was what he Oh, was. yeah. Last one. Um, this is the, the worst out of the three. Since much McGee or whatever. <laughs> yeah. The foul ball he hits – I love that the second he hits, he's like, see ya. Because he just knew he got every single piece of that ball. The underhand thing, I think he would have just 
absolutely destroyed that ball. Oh, it would it would have thrown him off. It doesn't matter. You can just see it up in the air. Yeah, it would have really thrown him off. But I feel like that guy's, you know, that guy was playing in beer league, softball leagues on the weekends. Um, And he's he's a professional athlete who probably hit like 320 with 47 home runs and 118 RBIs. And it wouldn't even caught him off guard because he would have seen him throwing it underhand, which I don't even know if that's legal. So I tried to look it up. I actually did. And officially, he's considered a submarine pitcher if he does that. Now, when I think submarine pitcher, I think one of those guys that kind of goes like half falls down when they throw. But that's considered an underhand pitch is considered a submarine pitcher. Like a sidearm pitch almost, you know. Yeah, but that's an actual pitch. But that's considered submarine if you throw underhand. I don't know. Apparently, the Major League Baseball doesn't investigate the rules on anything between these two movies. All right, that's everything I have. Do you have anything else before we get into thoughts on the movie? My thing was just like, it kind of goes with thoughts on the movie, but um, so they're saying like, you know, at the very end, like he held up showing they won the World Series. I was like, so the Cubs lose their best closer and one of their uh, starters pitchings, you know, pretty much before that. Like, and you think they're going to win? Yeah, they would have, they would have gotten swept or at least, you know, they would have lost four nothing or four one to whoever would have been the the next team they played. All right, no, but uh, for thoughts on the movie, my first thing I got down here is just just that uh, this whole puberty thing. Like maybe they should have tried to shoot this six months earlier. Six months yeah. Earlier. <laughs> Instead of catching him right in the middle when his voice is cracking. Yeah. So I'll say this: Rookie of the Year is not good, but it's drastically better than Angels in the Outfield. It, it is. It's more fun, I just think. More, a little more humor. It is. More, it's a little more humor, a little more fun. The other one's just a little too sad. So who is the better haggard old pitcher? Tony Danza or Gary Busey? Now, I looked it up. At the time of the filming, Gary Busey was 49 years old. Jeez. And Tony Danza was 43 years old. So Tony Danza, at least, a 43-year-old pitcher, while is unlikely – especially in this day and age, it could have happened in the early nineties, especially if he was on like a, he signed like a big deal that ran way too long. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Tony Danza. I mean, I remember whenever you see coming out of the dugout when the kids are playing in the field, I'm just like, could see his gut. And I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, they, they would not have kept him on the roster unless they were absolutely beyond desperate, which I guess they were earlier. Oh, I, I know what – they're this horrible, horrible team that can't get anybody in the stands. And then out of nowhere, they're suddenly just three games back from the Mets with 15 games to go in September. Um, and whenever he didn't start playing till August. And when the first game they won, I believe John Candy said this is the first time this season we've won. They two. won two in a row, yes. And that means they would probably be somewhere around 30 games back from the Mets. So that means by the time they got to mid-September, they'd made up 15 games, which is almost impossible. You'd have to win essentially every game. And the other team would have to start sucking. Yeah. I was like, they must have had the weakest division that year. Well, the, the thing is, again, those divisions were seven teams deep. But like you said, statistically, somebody's got to be winning. <laughs> <It's> like, somebody's <laughs> got to be winning. But all right. Any other thoughts on the movie? I have some fun stuff for us to do at the end that I was going to do now, but I'm going to wait. Movies, not just movie, movies between the two of them. 
Yeah, I think that's about it. Let's let's get into the fun stuff. What's your best scene between the two? I just kind of tossed down like my favorite from both a little bit just as I was. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say. This is actually a remake from 1950. Oh, yes. Yes. You had talked about this. It's called Rugi's Rugi's Bump. R-O-O-G-I-E-S. Bump. 1954 is when it came out. So roughly like 30 years before I was born. Because it was on the date of my birth it came out, August 25th. <laughs> random. And, yeah, I know. Pretty random when I looked it up. But essentially, like, this kid start, got, like, a bump on his elbow. And then all of a sudden, he was able to, be able to, he was able to pitch real well, too, and started pitching in the majors. I just, like, read, like, the thing about it. And I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting. But I feel like all these movies we had have. Here's another thing that I didn't even – I don't even know if we brought this up. You said about even though he could throw 104, 105 miles an hour, there's no way he would have that accuracy honed in. Actually, I said he wouldn't be accurate. He'd just be throwing BBs. He would just be whipping it, and it'd be going over people's heads. It would go well, behind I, the catcher I, all the even, time. Even at 12 years old, you can teach you know control. They have a Little League World Series. You can teach a kid to throw a ball straight. Yeah, but not with a throw in 103. Well, he's got the arm issue. Because it shows he was having control issues for a while, so it was just pretty much getting him calmed down. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. He was having that early. So once he got it. Homed so in a little bit. He may not have control. He just was firing it past everybody. My favorite scene is John Candy in the beginning when he's just beyond miserable as the announcer. He is he is absolutely hilarious, and he has one of my favorite lines, which I'll, I'll say when we get down to it later. But I've written down my favorite scene is just I really just enjoy the scene. Only because it's my favorite line, probably movies, the whole funky butt loving. Yeah. <laughs> just like, did you just say funky butt loving? Yeah. Okay. You, you mean it's not the scene where they're uh, sexually harassing the girls from they're across the cafeteria? No. All right. What's your worst scene between the two? Um, the scene where... Danny... The, 30, the 35 error play? Yes. The 30... Yes, Asian that's mine is. too. It's Danny Hemmer... Hemmerling. Adrian Brody. You can just say who he is. Yeah. All right. I know it's a movie, but uh, I already went over these. One is they can't throw Henry every game. Uh, two, if they come in. It, it, so he came in in early to mid-August, and they never won more than two games in a row. They'd be 25 games below 500. Yeah. I, and I, then I, the last is why are they in school in early August? So those are all things we went over. Yeah, I was just saying the same thing. I was like, how they even make the playoffs? You know, Best line from either one. Uh, like I said, I go, I wrote down the whole funky butt loving. He's like, did you say funky <laughs> butt loving? But I also, I, I just wrote down from the Angels, uh, Angels in the Outfield movie, whenever they come in after that loss and Knox is like flipping yeah, out. Yeah, flipping out. And he looks at the pitcher and he's just like, you're an asshole. And he's like, no, I'm a pitcher. Yeah. <laughs> Because you can be a pitcher and an asshole, dumbass. <laughs> um, so I, I have, uh, I'll give, I'll give one for Angels in the outfield, which is right before that when the big fat Italian guy's going, "Oh, he didn't get the right salami." I don't know why that made the, uh, the again hardcore on the, really hard press on the stereotypes. Uh, but for me, that both came from. I like two from R- Rookie of the Year. One was. Uh, I already said it's uh, Gary Busey saying that's going to make you stupid. I guess it already did. And 
the other one is John Candy says, I said he was, when he was being real miserable, he goes, oh, let's go back to our dull lives and search for meaning. And it was just funny the way he said it as a depressed Cubs fan of, from a long time. So, yeah, I was kind of surprised. I thought maybe they, you know, when I was like watching it now, I was just like, oh, I wonder how they didn't get like Harry Carey or something. Didn't try and run that one down. John Candy was, I thought he was a fantastic color commentator. Yeah. So, who's your favorite character? This is kind of like a tough one between these, even between these two movies. Like, I was like, I thought Brickmo was like kind of hilarious and ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wrote him down too, but he became almost obnoxious. Yes, exactly. I was like, he was kind of a little bit, it got a little bit annoying. A little over the top. I put down John Candy was a great color commentator, but I was just like, the truth was, I go, all in all, I thought for a Busey role, I thought Busey did pretty good as Chet. But but it's just like if I had to go with one, I'd probably go with Brickma, even though it was just a small role. So I wrote down Brickma first, and then I erased it, and then I put down Chet Stedman, and then I erased it, and then I put John Candy, <laughs> which is funny because you went through the same progression I did. I was just like, yeah, I'm just not sure. Yeah. This one has a large category, a large base of people that could get it. But who is the worst character between the two movies? I put down Adrian Brody. I put Whit Bass, which was Neil McDonough. The no, I'm a pitcher. It's uh, so he's so bad as the super dumb guy. It's almost like frustrating. Like at least Adrian Brody doesn't really say anything. He's unbelievable that he would be a professional baseball player, but still he doesn't say much. Whit Bass has a bunch of lines that are just so bad. I think that's what bothered me is that just how bad he was at baseball. Like, at least McDonough was, like, a pitcher and, like, was competent. And I just kind of liked how they were, like, and he sets, and he sets again, and he sets again. Like, keeps going down with this whole thing. I just thought that was kind of amusing. I forgot that scene. Next is, traditionally, we've done a actor or actress top five which is we take someone that's in the movie and go through the top five acting roles they've been in that we enjoy, TV, movie, whatever it might be. But for this one, we decided to go in a little bit of a different direction, and it, it probably had a lot to do with the fact that we were this age at the same time, but it felt like there were a lot of kids' sports movies in the early to mid-'90s. So we decided to compile a list of the five best kids sports movies from the 90s so do you want to go first or second mike because i actually have a five four three two one on this one um give me your five four three two one okay so for number five i did have rookie of the year because as bad as it was it still was like a reasonable kids movie number four i had little big league because there was part of you that always felt like yeah i could run a baseball team (laughs) number three i had little giants Always a fun one. Number two, I had The Sandlot. We, if, if you get a chance, listen to the previous podcast. If you haven't heard it yet, we did on The Sandlot. It's really good. We get in-depth on whether or not it's a sports movie or not, but it, I'm going to say for this one. And then number I'm one. I'm glad you said that. And then number one, uh, I had Mighty Ducks, and then I also included D2. I felt like that was the best one out of all of them. It was close between that and The Sandlot, but – Mighty Ducks is more of a sports movie, so I gave it the the edge. I agree with you on a lot of those. Uh, I I put down six because I knew I put down Sandlot as my number one. And I was like, uh, I know we talked about just Ed Countess. 
as a movie. So I was like, I'm going to hold off on it and see if he if he's going to use it since use it. So I actually have six. So you can do one A and one B. How's that? Sandlot and something else. Sandlot and I'm going to do same thing. Mighty Ducks probably. Mighty Ducks D two would be like my. Those would be like my top two by far. The ones I've watched the most out of all of these. Yeah, I feel like they're kind of they're in a category of their own, and then there's the rest. And then uh, I have Little Giants, Little Big League, and I had Rookie of the Year at the bottom. Yeah, so we were in the same same place then. Good. Yeah. I uh, like. I thought about Space Jams. I think what Space Jams was is like it was. I might have been. I feel like maybe I was like got was a little bit older when that movie came out, and I just didn't. Space Jam. Space Jam was like ninety six, but it's not a kid. It's not a. It's a kids sports movie, but there aren't any kids playing sports in it. Yeah, uh, it's so it's that. That's what I meant. I was like just looking at, it and I was just like, "Oh, was Space Jam's count?" And I was like, "The truth is, I'm not a huge basketball guy either." So I think that's yeah. part of the. Reason. I, I was like, then. I was in the '90s. I loved basketball in the '90s. It, it wasn't until we got into like college that I kind of stopped watching. Well, I started watching college, but from an NBA standpoint. So um, I'm going to buzz through the internet facts here. I don't have a lot, and I know we've we've been going for a while. So yeah, things from the internet. Uh, I'm going to break this two different pieces. So facts from Angels in the Outfield. I mentioned earlier Tony Danza and Joseph Gordon-Levitt were in another movie together, Don John, which has Tony Danza playing his dad, which you also added. Tony Danza became a professional teacher, which is a pretty cool thing. The film was not only connected between Disney and the Angels. Two years after the film's release, the Walt Disney Corporation bought the Angels and owned them until 2003. In addition, Walt Disney was one of the Angels' original board members, which is an interesting thing. Uh, There is a hidden Mickey. As Roger looks out the window and says, if there's a god, the image of Mickey Mouse can be seen in the stars. I didn't look for myself, but I'll believe it. Interesting. Uh, former A's and Cardinals manager Tony La Russa and his family make a cameo appearance in the owner's box during the last game. I, I missed that part, too. Carney Lansford, who plays Kit Hit-or-Die Kenzie from the White Sox, was a professional baseball player in real life who, in fact, played for the California Angels from 1978 to 1980. So those are some interesting facts from the Angels in the outfield. From Rookie of the Year, I only have two of them. When Henry's mother, Amy Morton, is celebrating Henry scoring a run after being walked, she hits her head on the lamp hanging above her head. Morton obviously didn't mean to do this because she is visibly hurt, and after sitting down, she mutters, oh, shit, but they have to dub it out so you, it, you can like see her lips say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the other one, following the film's release, Thomas Ian Nichols threw out the first pitch at multiple Cubs games and was also invited to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game multiple times during the customary Seventh inning stretch at Wrigley Field. During the 2015 National League Championship Series where the Cubs faced the Mets, and as they did in the movie, he attended Game 4 in his Rowan Gardner number 1 jersey, similar to the one he wore in the field. And they Uh, lost. And they lost. Uh, Yeah. No, did they lose in 15? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they lost in 2015. They won in 2016. Uh, Do you have any more internet facts that I might have missed? Yeah. So... uh, Coach Martinella gets Henry's last name wrong every single time except for once. Yeah, in the, the final game, he gets it right. Because he turns and goes, what did he call me? He calls him the following names. Rolling, Rolling Furter, Garden Hoser, Ra- Ravi Boozer, Rossenbagger, Runamucker, Ro- Rowan Gartner, 
and Rowan Gruder. I like uh, Gardenhauser the most, I think. I like Gardenhauser too. And Rosenbagger. <laughs> Rosenbagger, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, or not. Oh, Busey's got a fake mustache. <laughs> yes, I did read that. That he has he had one, a real one for a long time, and he shaved it off and had to wear a fake one for the movie. Oh my god, Ed. Okay. So normally Mike and I would do a remake of the movie, but it's just too much to try and recast between the two. We we joked around saying we were going to make one called Angel of the Year, and it was going to star Mike Trout and try to get Mike Trout some, some publicity, but it's just going to be too much. So I decided to – let's do a follow-up. Where do you think two main characters from each movie are today? So we're going to start with Roger Bowman, the young boy from Angel in the Outfield. What do you think he's doing right now? 25 years later. Probably like a freaking preacher somewhere or something like that. I said uh, manager of a semi-professional baseball team. Not even like single A, like not one that's even below that. Like they have locally here in Washington County. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah. I can uh, see that. Yeah. What would you think that George Knox, the manager of the uh, Anaheim Angels, is up to today? He's probably an angel in the outfield now. Uh, I was going to say he's a registered sex offender. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to get a little dark here. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think Henry Rowan Gardner is doing right now? The the boy wonder from Rookie of the Year. <laughs> probably hanging out with that stack chick. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, I think he had he continued to have arm problems for the that never really it never really healed right. And eventually became addicted to painkillers and lives in his mom's house still. <laughs> was mom's bank? I'll say, what is Chet Stedman doing now? Is it <laughs> Henry Roger's mom? <laughs> I was gonna say, I think I'm sure they got a deep freeze, a hungry man, Salisbury. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, I think he's self medicating as a full blown alcoholic because he never was able to get his arm right again. Probably living by. Him. I was. I didn't. I didn't think about him living with, with Henry and the mom. But maybe they're all living together. Right. They're, they're, yeah, they're, they're both on booze and painkillers and Salisbury steak. That's their. That's their diet. God, I tell you what, man, you're <laughs> the best Salisbury steak. That no. Well, I'm gonna give your mom a piece of my Salisbury steak. <laughs> that and cold cans of uh, Chef Boyardee. Ravioli or uh, beefaroni, Chef Boyardee. Yeah, she's just an awesome cook. Oh God, how many of those do we eat in college? How much just like trash we ate in college? Man? <laughs> I, don't know about that. I think about it now. I'm surprised we didn't self-destruct. The amount of ramen noodles you ate. Ramen noodles and um, Tony's pizzas. <laughs> so many Tony's. <laughs> so many Tony's pizzas. I can eat about one of those a day. <laughs> I was gonna say every other day, but all right, that was fun. We should do that more often. Where are they now? <laughs> I think that might be our new segment. Instead of remaking the movie, it might might go with "Where are they now?" Let us know what you guys think. Follow us at Worth the Watch PC. Tweet at us and tell us what you think, or email us at Worth the Watch Podcast or Worth the Watch Podcast at Gmail dot com. Let us know which one you want us to do. Do you want us to keep doing remakes or do Where Are They Now with a dark twist? (laughs) Our next movie 
we're excited to announce we're we're moving forward with some of these movies we've done has kind of been Mike and I, as you see, they kind of evolved as we go on, but we think we've got ourselves a good flow here. So we're stepping up to some some more more movies that are better known, uh, more entertaining. We're very excited. Our next movie is going to be Forgetting Sarah Marshall, starring Jason Segel and Kristen Bell, and one of the greatest small parts, small roles of all time with Jonah Hill. It was fantastic. So that look, look forward to that coming uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. And, and we got a couple yeah. we got a couple more good ones lined up between now and and at least Christmas, I think. I was gonna uh, say we actually watched this one together for the first time. Yes, this this was uh, this was one you and I sat in the theaters and watched and laughed maniacally too. Again, thanks for sharing this out. Please share it out with your friends uh, if they've seen either of these movies and. They're they're up for a good laugh as to how they don't really hold up 25 years later. Please pass them along. Otherwise, uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Mike. All right. Catch you later, Ed. Welcome to the Worth the Watch podcast. While there are plenty of movie review podcasts out there, our goal is not to be that. This is supposed to be a fun look back at movies from our past that we have enjoyed. We just want to fill that place between your ears for about an hour. Make your commute to work a little more tolerable or let you reflect on a movie that you may have seen. Movies can make us laugh and cry, make us cringe in fear or be a shot of adrenaline. We watch them in theaters with total strangers, at home with friends and family, or on Sundays when it's on cable for the 300th time. When One We Love comes on TV, we get excited. It's almost like, hey, someone else likes this movie too. So if you like what we do, let us know. Follow us on Twitter at WorthTheWatchPC, again, at WorthTheWatchPC, or email us at WorthTheWatchPodcast at gmail.com. Make suggestions of movies you love and want to hear. Tell us what areas you want us to cover. Please keep things clean. We have families who don't want them to be worried about us. Please remember... This is all in good fun, and if something on here offends you, tough shit. Get over it and find something else to be upset about.